Will you join me in Galatians, the New Testament letter, a letter, interestingly, that was wrote to several churches, to the churches that are in the region of Galatia. And so as we have journeyed through this particular book up to chapter 5, we've taken a little uh, um, different approach in a sense of uh, we love to, to study the way we read, the way you read. You read chapter by chapter, verse by verse, agreed? You, you kind of start there. And, and granted, I know there's times that you study topically. Maybe you're dealing with discouragement or maybe you have some anger thing that kind of come up or some trigger thing. So you may study a topic and dig into that to get understanding. But generally speaking, most people in their reading of the Bible, they read it the way they received it. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I love that. I love to be able to teach that way. But also know there's times you need to get a survey, a sense of what's there. And so we have been going through this particular letter with just kind of an overview mindset, if you would. Um, yesterday I was out. I uh, thought as an old guy I should have some new toy to play with, so I picked up a drone. Um, <laughs> which, why is that funny? <laughs> so I pick up this drone, and, 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 you know, it just looks so cool when people fly them. They don't fly that easy. Not to my brain. I'm not a video gamer guy. So anyway, where I'm going with this is I go outside of town, and I, you know, fly this thing up and start flying it around. And, you know, it's, it's a good imagery to me because, you know, you get up higher, and you can see a lot more. You can have a good overview of things, but you can't see quite the detail. The lower you come and you descend, or even putting you know, your feet on the ground, if you would, then the more detail you see. Now, we're going to do more of the overview, looking at these, this particular chapter, and, and say you may go, well, gosh, I, I wanted to get dig deeper into that letter or this book of the Bible. Well, you can actually go to our website. If you go uh, to the menu bar on the top right and go to uh, Sermons, and when you get there, scroll down, and you'll come to Free at Last, a series. It's a study that we did. We went through Galatians in 2020, and we went chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So not only do you have the opportunity for overview, but on your own time, you can actually dig in and cover all the, the chapter by chapter, verse by verse stuff. So today, we're going to approach here this overview of Galatians chapter 5. And of course, it's pretty tough to jump into the middle of a letter even towards the end, without some kind of sense of um, context. The believers in the churches of Galatia had been misled. Persuasive people had promoted a false teaching that was taking the believers dangerously off course. We picked up when we were going through in chapter 3, the first verse, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? The word there speaks of who has kind of taken you under their influence. I'll do a little test. See how old you are. You remember the show Bewitched? Raise your hand. All right, you're old people. So Bewitched was kind of a sitcom, I guess you would call it, you know, where this this which I guess, but she could twinkle her nose and then put an influence, a kind of a power over whoever she decided to influence that way. Well, 
The word there speaks of influence, you know, to twinkle the nose, to put someone under a spell. Persuasive people don't have the power to control, to twinkle their nose. But they can have a controlling influence if you let them. And so important to recognize, persuasive people can have an influence if you let them. Well, this letter is dealing with persuasive people who were influencing believers and leading them off course. As a matter of fact, a large portion of the, of the Bible warns or cautions us to be aware of persuasive people who would take you off course. I've chose that way of describing the influence of these people. You could call them false teachers, because they are. But when you call someone a false teacher, it, it, you kind of, because you know, it's, it's, it's kind of implies maybe a position or authority or something, right? I mean, they've got the title, and they're not telling the truth. So clearly, if someone's doing that, you could recognize them right off the bat. I mean, obviously, they're rude, they're insensitive, they're arrogant, they're self-promoting, their ideas, the only thing they can listen to, they're jerks. So when you see a jerk, you know they're a false teacher. Don't apply that too broadly. So the point is, that's not true, Correct. When we read, when the Bible is speaking of false teachers, it's generally speaking of persuasive people that are not following true to the course. Because you wouldn't listen to a false teacher if you knew they were a false teacher. But you would listen to a persuasive person who has kindness, charisma, a little influence, you know, however it may be. And so the Bible addresses that particular issue in, in several different ways. Now, in Galatians chapter 1 through 4... We have the root of the matter, and it's dealt with the problem. The problem was adding to the gospel. In that region, in that time, persuasive people had added on to salvation by grace. They, their add-on was that now that you're saved, you must follow the law, specifically be circumcised. You must follow, you must keep the Ten Commandments. Basically, they believed the gospel plus the gospel, and now you got to do these things as well, which gospel means good news. And anytime you add on to this good news, it's no longer good news. It's that fine print that they're inserting that now that you're following Jesus, you have to do all these other things if you really believe, if you're really following him. So we have four chapters revealing the falsehood of this gospel-plus mentality. And now here in chapter 5, we have what the true gospel looks like. We have practical, real-life, everyday living for the person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Specifically in chapter 5, we're just going to cover a portion today, but the first section, verses 1 through 6, show us that if you choose to rely on the law, you must fulfill all of it. If you're going to say, I, 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 I'm born again because of Jesus, now I'm going to do this. And the, the emphasis, as you've read, if you've read through the letter, was about circumcision following the law of Moses. And, and they're reminded in verses 1 through 6, it's not a pick and choose menu. If you're going to go by the top 10, the 10 commandments, you've got to do them all. You can't just be selective. And so that created a dilemma for those who wanted to live that way because they knew they couldn't fulfill all of those. Verses 7 through 15 is an issue of uh, check your heading. 
you know, stop listening to those who are taking you off course. Because that's what was happening. They were using their uh, influence or their position or their scriptural authority because they were Jewish in background. So they were putting the emphasis upon Judaism and following the commandments. As I mentioned, you know, persuasive people draw you in. They are convincing. They often appear to be spiritual. They're usually kind or nice. They need you to listen to them and, and ultimately agree with them. You will need to go the way they're going, or they will move on to the next person. They ultimately bring discord, division, and disorder. If you look at verse 15, you can see what's said. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So it's a pretty strong warning to be aware of where you're going. Because you can easily, we can easily be let off course. That's why we value the word. That's why I love to teach the word. Because you have a requirement as you receive the word through my voice. That like it says in the book of Acts of the Bereans. The Berea, the region. The Bereans, as they heard the word of God presented to them. They went home and they searched the scriptures diligently daily. To see if what was said was actually true. Isn't that nice that you and I, we have the same outline, if you would. And so you can look through, I can look through, we can go, hey, this is what it means, what it says. And if something's errant or misleading or going a different direction, say, well, actually, that's not taking us. It's not providing unity. That's not bringing people together. That's taking people apart. And go, okay, let's deal with it. Hey, let's read the section I'm leading into, verse 16 through 26. I say then... Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, verse 21, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, but also walk in the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. God, as we would consider just this framework, this section of Scripture, I would ask that you would speak to our hearts, that we would receive your truth, that we would be comforted, corrected, that we would be brought into understanding of your grace, of your love, and what it looks like, how it is to live in harmony, in unity, in closeness, with intimacy, to know you as you are. Teach us, O oh God, your ways this day for your glory and our joy. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Glancing back to verse 16, you notice there's a contrast presented. Well, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's a contrast between walking in the Spirit 
and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, walking in the flesh. Let me start this, set this for a framework of reasoning and understanding. Walking in the Spirit is about depending on God's abundant supply for every need. So it's, it's not what we used to do. Before you were born again, before I was born again, I just naturally did what I needed to do to make life work. I relied on my own ability or whatever I was around me, such and such. But being born again, born of the Spirit, when you're admitting, when you agree with God and you admit you need His forgiveness, when He has brought to your awareness your own issues, and it's a gracious, very gracious thing that He does. It's convicting and disturbing, but He brings to our own awareness our need for forgiveness. And as we're forgiven by Him, we agree with Him. We say, God, I need your forgiveness. I don't even know how all this works, but I know it's true. Show me how to put my faith in you. I trust you. And, and that, as, as we're experiencing that, as we're responding to His revelation about our own need, we're born again, born of the Spirit. And being born of the Spirit, we're now empowered. We're, we're literally, it's regenerated. It's not just cleaning up our act. We have a whole new life, it speaks of. Born of the Spirit. And so, now we're learning to walk in the Spirit, walk in and trust. It just doesn't magically happen. It doesn't just, God doesn't just take over and change our habits and behavior without our awareness. A little bit He does, but here's what happens. You, you, you are born of the Spirit, and now you're like, Lord, help me to walk in this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do my work because I was a different person. What you're telling me I was living this way, but now you've called me to a different way of living, and I don't know how to keep my job and still live walking in the Spirit. I don't know how to kind of like put a lid on my vocabulary because some of it should be deleted. You know what I mean? You're just trying to figure it all out. And you're learning to walk in dependence, depending upon Him. Now, that's walking in the Spirit. Walking in the flesh, or what we could say even from the first four chapters, by the law, is where we're depending on our own strength, our own ability, our own reasoning. And so we're just relying on that. We can, just, we can do this. And sadly, what happens sometimes is someone's brought into a born-again relationship with God. God has brought them to Him. They receive joyfully this new life, but then they revert back to the old way of living, not experiencing this new life in the Spirit. You can speak of walking in the Spirit and yet be depending on yourself. Do you know? Do you realize that? We can learn the vocabulary. We can emulate and duplicate what other people are doing around us, and yet that's not going to help us because we're just copying the external without anything happening on the inside. So when it's happening, when we're walking in the Spirit, we're learning as we go. And so, verse 16 basically tells you and me, you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, you cannot do both. You can't walk in the Spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh. Does that make sense? You can't go, God, I just want to totally serve you and be a part of your life. and I'm, I'm, I'm in, oh, but I'm still going to do this too. You, it, literally, it is one or the other reality. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't perceive that if you start this way and are tempted and stumble that you're not born again. This, it's, it's, it, you're, just, you're realizing, I don't like doing this because I want to be with Him. You see what I'm saying? It's a relational change that's taken place. I used to do what I wanted to do because it was about me. 
But now as I'm learning about his love and his grace and his patience and his kindness, I want more of him and less of me. So even as I would start this way and then glance back, be like, oh man, I don't want that. And maybe you've traveled down that road where you've given in to temptation, born again, born of the Spirit, wanting to follow God, and then you find yourself wandering off track. I want you to realize this when you're wandering off the track. There's a conviction. Because you already know, I shouldn't be doing this. And that conviction is a purpose. That conviction has the purpose of reminding you, go back to Him and let go of what you used to do. Go back to Him. Walk in the Spirit. Because you can't do both. They're contrary to one another. Look at verse 17. For the flesh, lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. You, you're familiar with that, I'm sure. I've yet to meet a Christian who's really been born again for very long and, walk, and, and filled with the Spirit, who doesn't understand this. They, they don't always recognize it, but they get it like, man, I, 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 just, I did so good on Sunday with, with church, and I was, I was learning. Man, I felt so good. And, and boy, you will not, I don't want to tell you what I called that guy at work on Monday morning. Because, I, oh man, I, I'm not doing the things I want to do. You, you get it. Because you now we're realizing, okay, now I just want to choose to walk in this because... The two are contrary. They're, they're literally, in a sense, against each other. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I apply this acronym. It works pretty consistently. I'm not dogmatic about it. But if you take that word, but, and understand it as best, understand this. Best understand this. I understand this. If I get a hold of this, if I take hold of this, I am not, if I'm led by the Spirit, I'm not under the law. If I'm led by the Spirit. And that really means since. Not if, or if in a sense of volition or will, but since you're led by the Spirit, here's the thing to remember. Led indicates you're following. Agreed? It's not a really deep concept, but it's an important foundation to, 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 to embrace. If someone's leading you, you're following. And ultimately, the context is telling us, if you're following, you're looking. Because physically, it's hard to follow someone if you're not looking at them, right? So if you're looking, you're learning, because you're following and you're picking up your sensory perception, whether it's audible or visual or whatever it may be. You're, you're learning and you're, you're listening. That's what's being conveyed as we're following Him. Follow. If you're led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. You're following, you're seeking, because you're now seeing from God's perspective rather than from a self-minded perspective. And it's ultimately what we're trying to, to be and how we're trying to live functionally as, as true Christians. We're trying to see life from God's perspective and have not, not have quite the strong influence of a self-minded perspective, which is what the flesh is, a self-minded perspective. Last week, today maybe even, did you have any moment where you realized, I'm looking at that person, I'm looking at situation from a self-minded perspective, because I really believe this is God's perspective. This, have you ever been, felt that conviction and borderline shame when you looked at something with your own judgmentalism, and then you see it like, man, that's not the way God sees it. That's not the way God sees them. You know, especially, this is often how it comes about. You make a determination or conclusion or judgment or whatever you want to, however soft you want to sell it to yourself. And then you, and then you 
see it from God's perspective because more information comes in. You look at them, oh man, I don't know why they do that. that they bug me. Oh, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden you find out more of what happened in their life, in their world. It doesn't make their actions okay, but it gives you empathy. You have a little more understanding and it's kind of embarrassing when you've made a judgment with lack of information. And so you have this where you're, you're, where you're learning to be led, see from God's perspective rather than a self-minded perspective. I think it's one of the most encouraging things you'll experience as a follower of Christ. To have measurable progress in your life where you are seeing people, circumstances, and situations with more of an eternity view and a compassionate, Christ-like view. Because it softens you. Agreed? You find yourself going, oh man, man, thank you that I'm starting to see things. I hope you can see a little bit. You know, Timothy was, was you know, told, you know, let your progress be evident to all. In other words, it is visible just for yourself and others that we'll be growing and seeing his perspective. Now it carries us into verse 19. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are. Now this is not meant to be an all-inclusive list. As you look at it, you can see, you know, there it says, you know, verse 21, and the like, meaning many other things. Here as we start out in, in verse um, 19, there's some of the things that are expressions, if you would. They're, they're expressions of carnal living. We see here in this list, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. There's many expressions. I would summarize those first two by understanding and knowing our culture. Sexual perversions. Something that's perverted, is, it's been distorted, it's been changed from its original intent, its original design. You perverted. You heard the term perverted justice. Well, sexual perversions is to defy God and live outside his design for sexuality, which is that's how I describe our culture. You know, SOS, is that kind of an acronym for help, right? We need help. We are a sexually obsessed society. Agreed? Sexually obsessed society. That's why it, we're bombarded. You and I have to deal with things we have never thought of. You guys are being, we are being forced to talk about or somehow consider or function around because of a society that's obsessed with sexuality and we're, we're in it but not of it. We're having to deal with things you don't even want to, it's just mind-boggling the headlines and the things that you and I, we have to deal with. Because we're a society that's got to be where they, they defy, this culture defies God's design for sexuality. God has a specific purpose for gender. He has a, a specific purpose, experience for humanity in regards to sexuality. And he set framework. He set this, this is way it's going to be best for you. He didn't set it to rip us off and rob us of some potential pleasure. He set it to guard us from guaranteed pain. And yet we're in a society that defies that and says he doesn't know what he's doing. You can do this and you can do that and you can be this and you can be that. It's, it's so, dis it's, I'm so done with it. 
but I'm not, you know, and I can't get away from it. You can't either. But it's like, I'm so, I am so tired of hearing stupid reign supreme. It is dumb. You, you can't just say you can be this and change that, and you can do this and you can do that. And this, is, this aberrant behavior is acceptable because our society has progressed. That is not progressive. When you deal with, and, and I know some of you here, and I know some of your positions and, and some of your involvement with people, and I know you have wept with people who have bought into this whole lie and you, you wept with them when they tell you their story and how they have been horribly treated and brutally treated and, and all manipulated because of this lie about and this defiance about sexuality. And the pain and the hurt and the heartache and the loss of life that is a direct result of this stupidity is, is mind-boggling. And how can we say it's okay? You, 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 you can't say it's okay. Okay, God didn't say it's okay. It's not okay. Now, I know I'd like to say I'm done with it, but, you know, well, I'm going to get emailed today, so <laughs> life, I guess I'm not done with it. <laughs> but I know when I'm sharing these things rather firmly and sternly, it's resonating in your hearts as well. Because we're trying to figure, how, how could it get this? How could this be? It's defiance. It's defying the living God, saying we know what's best for us better than you do, and we can do all these things. And because it's so aggressively promoted and so quickly sold, they've been so effective that even the body of believers, the church, even there, there's sexual sin and confusion. Persuasive people have taken believers off course, and, and it's, it's destructive and divisive. It, it doesn't lead to anything good. Man, you think about it. God set things up with a design and a purpose and, a, and actually a human pleasure within it. Looking out for us, man. And the next one, you know, because we'll go through this list of the acts of the flesh and these, these living by the flesh produces these things. Uncleanness speaks there, and in the New King James they use that word. It speaks of impurity. But it really has in the, in the core of its you know, meaning, if you would, it, it speaks not just to action, but to motive. So, impure motives. Motives that are tainted. Motives that are, that we're just not honest. You know, it's possible for you and me to be dishonest to ourselves. We could say, well, I want to, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. I want to help with that. I want that, whatever. Because, oh, that's a good thing. But if we're honest and we slow down, sometimes our motives are not exactly pure. There's maybe some recognition. Maybe there's some promotion. Maybe there's a personal pleasure in what we choose to do, but we, we don't want to admit that, so we call it something that's more acceptable. And so that's what, the, that's what this is speaking of. There's a, make sure we kind of check our motives. I think that's something we should do all the time. I don't think we should be guilt-ridden. I don't think we should be, like, losing our mind. But let's always be we willing to, am I, is my motive right on this? Is this, is this the pure motive on this? Is this real good? I'll be real quick. I've shared this, shared this before, and I'm, I didn't share it first service because I didn't want to. But I will now because I feel kind of convicted. Um, I was shoveling snow for the neighbor. I was a young Christian, a grumpy old lady who just would she'd stare out the window and watch and just kind of measure your efficiency. And anyway, she's just, it's it, Neat lady in my life, anyway. But I, I went over there. I shoveled the walkway because she's old. She was in her 80s. She was very frail. 
I'm shoveling it and dealing with life, young kids, finances, life, young Christian, I'm shoveling. And I, as I'm shoveling, I, I'm, don't judge me, but as I'm shoveling, I literally think, man, maybe she'll put me in her will. <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny. But I'm shoveling, and I literally like, and I almost threw up in the snow. I was so, I stopped. Is, is that why I'm doing it? Am I shoveling this for some financial gain? Now, I know the lady's probably looking out the window going, when's this guy going to finish? He's just standing there like. <laughs> but do you see, I didn't think that's why I was doing it, and I still don't. I think that was a leech motive that grabbed onto my original intent. But I want to recognize the potentials there. I, want to re- I don't want to lie to I want, I want my motives, if at all possible, to be God-honoring. And so it's a, it's a healthy heart check that you let the Holy Spirit speak to you on. Go on to the next one here, lewdness. Lewdness speaks of unbridled lust, shamelessness, um, orients around sensuality, uh, appealing or overfeeding the senses, if you would. Verse 20 Idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Idolatry is that which replaces God in your life. It could be your job. It could be your athletic endeavors, your personal interests. Sit down and hold on to this. It could be your family. It could be your spouse. It could be loved ones. We can elevate them at times to a position that they shouldn't hold. Don't let the secondary earth up or take over the primary. Because I, I know it can happen. And just, you know, just let that be aware. I don't, want, I don't want my family to become the thing that's the most important to me. Because I need God to be the most important so I can be the person I need to be to my family. I need that in my life. I need to have that understanding so that I can truly serve them or however it may be. And same with a, a marriage relationship and such. Generally speaking, in our culture, idolatry is more related to acquisition of assets, accumulating more cash, preparing for the next season, whatever it may be. But let it, let you, you kind of work through where you may potentially be vulnerable in that regards. Sorcery um, just speaks of the occult. Hatred, hatred, discord, alienation. It's usually propelled by pride and indifference. And not a single Christian will say they hate because that's a four-letter word. No, I don't hate. I just don't like them. I just wish their face would leave the place. I don't want to see them. I, they, seriously, this is one of those things I, like, I, I hear, I go, they won't, won't admit that it's hate. So we convince ourselves it's nothing that severe. But we borderline want harm to come to that human. It's like, how can we call it anything else? How can we say it's okay when God said no? Here's the problem with hate. It's the same as with unforgiveness. Hate will always hurt you more than the person you hate. It will always hurt you more. Unforgiveness will always tear you up far more than the other person. Most of the time in unforgiveness, they have no clue what you're so uptight about. They go on like no big deal, and now you're madder at them. Now you're starting to hate them because they carry on like that thing that hurt you so bad doesn't matter, like no big deal. And now what's growing inside of you is 
bitterness and hate because of unforgiveness. So here, hey, don't, look, don't, don't overlook it. Be aware. There's just some things that are just difficult. There's some relationships that are really hard. And Christians have become hateful because they won't admit what they're dealing with. You don't have to hang out with everybody. There are some people you shouldn't. You just don't get along with them. It's not a, it's not a, a, a lack of love. It's a, it's a measure of honesty. But be willing to be truthful and honest with yourself. And if that is starting to grow and you're justifying certain things and you're acting in your mind and you're avoiding certain people perhaps, you got to be very careful and stop. Go, wait a minute. I want to get this reset. I don't want to become this, this hateful, this bitter person because that is a works of the law and self-promotion and self-work and doing it your own way. And it'll always provide or produce indifference and pride and hardship. Verse 21, I'm just going to focus on what we see here as far as clarification. It does speak of envy and murders and drunkenness and revelries and the like. And I've told you before, just all, I also told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice is a, is a center point for us processing what this means. To perform repeatedly or habitually, to do these things we've just went through and call them something else and say it's okay, if you can... If you, if you call yourself a Christian, you identify as Christian, and that really means from the, the biblical perspective, the, the definition, if you would, to be Christ-like, to be being changed into his image and likeness. It's not just a subculture title in, in the world, a religious you know, check on a, an application. If you're a Christian and have justified your actions to the point you can be carnal and fleshly, with no sense of shame or guilt, you need to spend serious time thinking about this verse, especially the latter part. Because this says, if you can do these things and live this way and carry on like this and have no problem, you're practicing these things, you will not enter the kingdom of God. That is a very strong statement from Scripture. Agreed? Very strong. And that's why the key is not perfection, but practice. If you can practice, if you can go about these things with no conviction, do Christians go about a few of these things we listed? Yes, they do. But they don't do it comfortably. They don't do it confidently. They do it in a very uncomfortable way. I know people that have struggled with a particular sin and, and they find themselves being tempted and stumbling. And, and they come to me sometimes in, in tears and in shame and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't even know if I'm saved. I'm like, dude, if you weren't saved, you wouldn't even be here right now. You wouldn't be concerned about whether it's right or wrong because you know you're just like, hey, other people do it, no big deal. But because the Holy Spirit's convicting you, Dan, this is not what I've called you to. When he's reminding you, this is not how I, this is going to hurt you. This is going to take you down. This is going to hurt you more than anything else. Understand this. We are complete in Christ. Do you realize that? But we are not perfect. We strive for perfection, which actually speaks of having everything necessary to live godly. But we, like, it's a rough analogy, but I think it does work. 
like this little computer here. This computer's complete. For everything it advertised and says it can do, it can do it. The problem is the piece of junk shuts down with no, no, no reason. I don't know why. It just does things. And then I find out, well, it does that because I didn't know that when I touch this button, it does different things. So it's complete. It's just being run imperfectly. I don't really know the ins and outs, but guess what? I know more now than when I first started. I understand more how it works. And so you see the, the picture? The Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us, equips us to live the life we're called to. But we're learning as we go. We're learning what this relationship is like and how to be perfected. How to seek Him when we, we're tempted to do this and He calls us back to Him and we're, oh, God, thank you. Keep me from doing that again. And He says, uh, I'll be with you. Have you ever prayed, keep me from doing that again? After you've already prayed that before, and then you're going to pray it again? And then what do you feel like? An idiot. At best, at best, an idiot. At worst, unworthy to God. Here's the thing. If your worthiness is based on your performance, you're, you're in a trap. But if your worthiness says, God, here I go again. What am I doing? Why do I do this? I'm running to you. I'm turning to you one more time. Forgive me. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. God, here I go again. I say, what was that again? You remember this is the fifth time I've come to the throne of grace and asked for your forgiveness. It's like, oh, no, it's the first time today. Let's just keep going this way. Let's keep going this way. This is where you go. What a powerful thing when we start understanding the grace of God and it's not a license for stupid. It is not a license, a liberty to do all kinds of horrible things contrary to the Word of God. It's a liberty that we are freed from the bondage of sin, still under the influence of sin, but not controlled by the power of sin. Because we are freed from that. We are now brought into this relationship where we're learning how to live. And let's move on to verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But, once again, better understand this. It's best to understand this. In contrast to a life spent walking in the flesh, there's this. The fruit of the Spirit. That's an interesting analogy, wouldn't you agree? It's fruit. Fruit is evidence of a life. Dead trees don't produce fruit, agreed? So fruit, it, 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 live trees produce fruit. Life in the Spirit produces fruit. When you're led by the Spirit, you're fed by the Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? When you're led by the Spirit, you're fed by the Spirit. A tree, a healthy tree, healthy branches, the nourishment flows from the tree and it produces fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is a result of a healthy connection. Stay connected. It's a result of a healthy relationship with the living God. And, and, you know, there's different seasons you'll go through. There's different situations you'll face. You'll have times you're really confident and joyful. You'll have times you're confused and really sad. But the tree, the fruit, I mean, the tree doesn't stop supplying the fruit. Does that make sense? What is the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
Love, joy, peace. These are the things that just are a result of a healthy relationship. Gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. Here's an interesting thing. The fascinating thing about love is that it's at the center of all the laws God ever gave. You thought, you've ever thought about that? Love is actually at the center. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay? It's an Old Testament you know, instruction quoted in the New Testament. If you love people because you love Christ, so that power, that love, you will not steal from them. You won't lie about them. You won't envy them or in any way try to hurt them because you love God and you love people. Love in the heart is God's substitute, so to speak, for laws and threats. See, love is actually the fulfillment of the law. See, we naturally, as people, we look at the instructions, the principles, what we call the law. Okay, I got to do this. But if, you're in, if you don't understand the core of it, then you'll just try to do the expression without understanding what it is on the inside, learning to love. And so we see as it continues on, you know, in verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, ultimately, just me put that in simplicity. You have put that to death in your mind. It still rears its ugly head. But you chose, I choose, we choose to walk in the Spirit and not give in to the excessive appetites of the flesh. I put it to death. I don't, that is not the, it does not have the priority. I hope you can say that. That where now you have been walking as a Christian for a longer period, what used to be important to you does not have the same power over you. You, you said, you know, it's, it's basically dead to me. Even though it does have my email and it sends me a message every now and then, I don't, I'm dead to, dead to it. I've crucified that. I'm done with it. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Literally, it speaks to you and me. Since we are spiritual, let us make that our priority. Let us live in accordance with that truth. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I've always felt that's an odd ending to the chapter. We're given the contrast between the, the, well, the flesh, if you would, and this, this confrontation between the flesh and the spirit and, and knowing you know, what the expressions would look like and, and to put that to death and live in the spirit. And then it says, let us not become conceited. Is it possible that God could speak something to you and then you could go to someone's like, oh, you got to hear this. The Lord spoke to me about this and they've got something and, and they, they are sharing that. Now, I think that's wonderful when it's shared this way. It's not so wonderful when it's shared this way. You get, see what I'm saying? And there's times that we experience something and we, we can easily become conceited, somehow thinking that we're, we're up here and I got to pour this on the poor inhabitants of the planet that need to know this truth and I got to share it from my higher view. And I'm exaggerating, but you see what's being said because it's interesting how that ties together. Let us not become conceited. And also it says, provoking one another. Provoking one another, provoking someone in this sense is not helpful. Hey, you need to go to more Bible studies, and you need to give more, and you need to do more. And if you really love the Lord, this is what you'll be. And you're provoking them, and they're going to say, this was my response when a person let me know that I should be doing more. And I'm like, shut up, you're stupid. 
I wasn't quite that kind back in those days. I had more crude and direct expression. Because like, provoking me, although what they may have said had some truth to it, they were just, you know, poking. You know, like some of you have kids that know how to do this. They know where the button's at, no matter what color it is. No matter how much you hide it, they can just provoke. So it's possible in the body of Christ we could learn something and then we could kind of apply a harsh provocation upon someone. And look at the last one. Envying one another. Oh man, I sure love the way she leads that Bible study. I sure love the way she leads the small group. I love the way she prays. I could never pray that way. Well, you shouldn't. You're not her. You shouldn't. You're not him. It's hard enough to be you, agreed? Don't try to be someone else. It's just way too much work. It's just easier to be you and learn. I, mean, I want to be encouraged. You know, Paul was an encouragement. and He encouraged others to learn from him as he so learned from the Lord. But he didn't want you to envy him. You know, if someone is an example in your life of spiritual truth and, and encouragement, be encouraged. But don't try to be them. Be you. Let God do the work he started in doing in your life. And you'll, you'll see, man, what an amazing thing when we see the simplicity where God is glorified. I'll have the worship team come back up. We're going to close with a verse in 1 Thessalonians, two verses, if you would. Let me just summarize what we looked at in Galatians really quick. Just at least a, the point to maybe not summarize, but emphasize. What you believe will be verified by how you live. Do you believe that? What you believe will be verified by how you live. If I really believe something then I'm going to live according to that belief. There will be a corresponding action to what I hold true and, and important to me. We know that's true in academics. If you believe that studying harder will get you a better grade and you desire a better grade, you will live accordingly. We know it's true in athletics. We know it's true in vocation and family dynamics. And ultimately, it's true also, although the emphasis is not upon our self-effort, but when you believe that God is loving and kind and gracious, that he is faithful, then you're going to live according to that truth. Your life expression will be, it'll be synchronized, so to speak. Will you stand with me? We have on the projection, you have in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. We're going to, I'm going to read it and we're going to pray through it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God, as we would process that truth, what you have preserved in your word for us this very day, each one of us to be reminded, Lord, that you are the God of peace and that you, God, you, you set us apart. You bring about your work in our lives. And so we're asking for that work to take place. I'm asking for me, for everyone listening to this message, that we would experience your touch completely in all of our being and all that we are, our, our whole being, spirit, soul, and body. May we, God, be right in your sight according to your righteousness and your work. 
For we know that you, Jesus, will return soon. And with that knowledge, God, may you continue. We believe you to be true. You've invited us into this relationship. You've called us. We know you're faithful, and you also will do it. Do that work in our lives. Bring us into a closer relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you so much. We sing this song to you in worship and adoration. In your sweet name, Jesus, amen.